it's sort of this need to live in a globalized society while paying none of the costs that go along with that. (laughs) Totally. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, well, I want my Amazon delivered immediately, but also I shouldn't have to mask up. Right, right. You live in a society, famously, Todd Phillips told us all of that in The Joker, (laughs) but then you don't want to like pay admission to like living in a society. I'm like, if we're, if we're all in this together, honey, it's time you it's time you prove that. Hello, I am Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer folks do their part to cut down on waste by asking the TSA agent if they can have a copy of that x-ray photo. What? What? Maybe I look good in it. Who knows? I bet you I'll find a use for it. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. It's what we always do. Have you been enjoying this season? Can you hear the age in my voice? Um, (laughs) I can't believe we're all still doing it. We're all still podcasting as a medium of all the things that came and went. Snapchat, MSN Messenger, MySpace, talking to a person in a public place, face-to-face, things we used to do that we no longer do as a civilization. It's amazing that in 2023, we're still podcasting. Are we? I still am. I think actually a lot of people are. There are a lot of beautiful new podcasts popping off still. Lovely You Made Me Queer Network Sonar, the Sonar Network, is just pumping out the hits nonstop. They have a lot of great podcasts. You can, did you know, (laughs) did you know, you can see all of the Sonar Network podcasts by going to their website or just search for them in your favorite podcast app or an Apple Podcasts or whatever you use. And you can find a whole slew of super funny podcasts. They didn't even ask me to say this. This plug just came out naturally. It just sort of bubbled up. But if you want to find new podcasts, they just released one that's kind of part true crime, part summer camp poop story, which, you know, in the Venn diagram of your interests, and yes, I'm talking to you, talk about jackpot. Ladies, am I right? (laughs) So anyway, this isn't that podcast. This is my podcast, the original podcast. And my guest today is an original Genius. Okay. Are you ready? My guest today is Curtis Campbell. No relation. Just the same last name. Actually, we talk about his last name a little bit. There's a bit of a mythology behind that. You know what? If Curtis was my kin, I would be thrilled because Curtis has a brain that is unimpeachable. It is absolutely insane. It is so fast. There is a point in this episode when I go, I'm going to get left behind 
in my own show. So I just kind of take off my belt, if we want to extend the TSA metaphor, and I wrap it around my wrist and then use sort of the little buckle and thing in the middle of the buckle, the buckle thing, to uh, basically attach it to Curtis. And I just let him drag me for about 45 minutes. Otherwise, I would just miss the entire thing. It is very funny. It is sort of the lights just went off. Did the power just go out? I'm going to keep going. Uh, it is it's a great episode. Even in the dark, you're going to love it. So here's Curtis's bio. I hope everyone's okay. I hope I'm okay. Curtis Campbell, not my child, is a writer, comedian, and theater artist. He is the co-author with Daniel Krolik of Gay for Pay with Blake and Clay and Blake and Clay's Gay Agenda, two fantastic pieces of theater, which also earned him a Dora Award nomination. Curtis is also the winner of the inaugural Comedy Bar and Second City Award for Best Comedy at the 2022 Toronto Fringe, one of the aforementioned shows I just talked about. His debut novel called Dragging Mason County, yes, that kind of drag, will be released this fall by Anik Press. Uh, Curtis is an absolute delight. Strangely, we only realized this later. I, at one point, lived in an apartment in the same house as Curtis, although I don't think we ever met or spoke at the time, and I think Curtis still lives there. I don't. I just pets it. I just pets it now. I don't live anywhere, and I'm okay with that. I have a dog next to me right now. Uh, it's been very needy today. I think I'm sort of fostering a codependence in this animal, which concerns me. But I'm only with it for three more weeks. And then you know what? I bestow that problem to uh, someone else. Ooh, the lights just came back on, which means it's our cue <laughs> to start this episode well lit with the fantastic, and I'm going to say that word again because it's really one of the words I think just fits Curtis Campbell like a ringer tee, unimpeachable Curtis Campbell. You made me quit. Trevor, I want to get it off my chest right off the bat. I did change my last name and it it was to have the same last name as you. <laughs> I was, listen, I was going to ask you, in my research of you, you publicly use two last names and which one should I use? You can use Curtis Campbell. Um, okay. I'm sort of not publicly using my real last name um, uh -huh. just because ta tax fraud thing, tax fraud. Yeah. <laughs> wanted for tax fraud. Actually, the um, Instagram bio for Lola and Lonnie is just two biological girls who are wanted for tax fraud. <laughs> Something like that. Something about us being wanted for tax fraud. That's right. It's perfect. Uh, comedians, comedians, <laughs> mothers, comedians wanted for tax fraud. Yeah. Uh, no, I just got tired of when I was looking at, well, uh, publishing, yeah. I was like, I don't feel like explaining my last name for the rest of my life, so I'm not gonna. You know what, and uh, Campbell's Soup conglomerate walked so we could run. And look at us run. <laughs> and like, we don't have to slow down to explain how to pronounce our last name for anyone. No, and Andy Warhol really did a lot of work there. I know, thank God. Thank you, Andy. And we, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's nonsense. Anyway, it's fine. And if this legally means that you're entitled to my estate in some way, yeah. it's fine. Well, you seem to have a much cleaner estate than I do at this moment. Um, you, I mean, you, the, again, this is a, a visual reference, which is not great for a podcast, but mm -hmm. this estate that I'm in is not my estate. I'm dog sitting here. Are we podcasting already? Are we like recording out, out of the gate? I love we're, that. We're halfway through the episode. 
phenomenal. It's yeah. a real gotcha. It's a real <laughs> gotcha of an episode. Totally, totally real expose. We're almost done. So anything you want to plug? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Slow down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, this isn't my home, but you are surrounded by collectibles. I'm surrounded by VHS tapes, mm -hmm. posters, um, various collectibles. Uh, I collect VHS tapes. I have Whoa. a lot of them. Um, yeah. My backdrop is currently um, maybe a quarter of the collection. I love a VHS tape. Of course, yeah. we both, I don't know exactly how you old you are, but we grew up in an era when people had VCRs. I'm 12. You're, you're 12. I'm 12. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, yee. Um, mm. Yeah, so definitely, like, there's something about, don't get me wrong, I love choice, but something about having one tape to watch that you rented, yeah. you put it in, you can't even comfortably rewind. So you kind of just have to go on a linear front to back journey. Yeah, I think we are in like a singularity of choice right now. And it's mm -hmm. all sort of the choice is equaling nothing. And yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I really enjoy having uh, just the tapes at my disposal. I mean, now I have a, a trillion, so it's sort of, I am, you know, still <laughs> That's right. many choices. Uh, but you just recreated Netflix with tapes. In my apartment, yeah. <laughs> um, in my not very large apartment, which is predominantly taken up by books and VHS tapes. Love it. Uh, yeah. I do miss the era of having like a collection of something. It is really nice. And another thing I love, I'm a very visual person. I love design. And there was, it's like with CDs, there's something nice. The experience starts with the box and the art yeah. and the photos. And we really miss that, especially now because the algorithm, I read a whole article about this and it was fascinating until it was terrifying, Yeah, which is like, Netflix uses an AI or a lot of streaming serv services use an AI sort of algorithm to scan the show or the movie for like certain like clips and then has those selections based on your viewing interests. Like, are you a big gay? Which is mine. It's always the shirtless guy scene. It's not like someone is picking those. A computer is picking those for us. So even like the visual representation of the film on the main page is chosen for you by the algorithm. Yes. And from what I remember, maybe there's someone who's given like a selection of these from AI, but it's not like the studio is providing, um, you know, here's the shot. I think that it does speak to this increasingly like, you know, culture of individualism that we live in right now, not to get like too real at the gig too quickly, <laughs> Do but it. stuff like that, I'm sort of like, I think Taylor Swift is maybe, and Beyonce are like maybe the only monoculture left. I know um, what you mean. Yeah. And I don't really partake in either of them. Sorry. Um, it's fine. But yeah, part of me is like, remember monoculture? Remember when we all liked Titanic? Do you, that was the only thing to see and everyone had seen it. And it's funny because, and again, we're really some deep, heavy thoughts here on You Made Me Queer tonight, but... One of the reasons why we're famously bad at getting along right now is we don't have to share any thought no. space. Everyone is in their own little bubble. And, no. Yeah. And then we don't you have walk to share a, anything. And, yeah. 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 And you're not shown any information that doesn't align with your beliefs. And then, then when something mm -hmm. does, it's you go apoplectic because you have no mm -hmm. a, a template for it. And everything is very, you know, is this rant I continually go on right now of like, uh, well, since um, since 2020 of this thing of like, <clears throat> it's sort of this need to 
live in a globalized society while paying none of the costs that go along with that. (laughs) Totally. You know what I mean? Like people really having issue with Amazon delivery backups and like um, supply chain backlog or whatever. And then at the same time being like, you know, well, we're all in this together. Um, But also, you know, it's like, well, I want my Amazon delivered immediately, but also I shouldn't have to mask up while we're really getting into it super quickly. It's like you live, but like, honey, you live in a society famously. Todd Phillips told us all of that in The Joker, but then yes. you don't want to like pay admission to like living in a society. Well, and it's, like, if, we're, you, if we're all in this together, honey, it's time you, it's time you prove that. Honey, you want acai berries 365 days a year, but you don't want immigrants in your country. So yes. where's it going to stop? And, and I that think was directed at me. That was you as you put down your Jamba Juice in Mm -hmm. shame. Uh, I think this is the perfect segue because uh, you take the good, you take the bad. You want some things, you can't handle other things. And when that's a great intro to a TV show, it's uh, copyright shotgun. So, so that's happening, especially when you're impressionable. And you think you're in control, but obviously you're not. And you and I know that now we are big boss daddies, but there was a point when people were warping our brains and turning us into big queer monsters, which is why Curtis of many last names, I've called you here today. Pick one. That I can, I'm trying and I can. And so what I want you to do is choose your own last name and also finally point the finger of blame for once and for all, who and or what, Curtis Campbell, my son, (sighs) Yeah. What made you queer? Well, Daddy, um, <laughs> I'm listening. Oh wow! You know, I know, I know that this is the conceit of the podcast, and I really should have given this thought beforehand. Um, mm. You're not queer, are you? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm gay, not queer. <laughs> right, oh. love that. Mm. I just think people who say they're gay, not queer, should um, just take five minutes. Just take five minutes. That's all I'm saying. Glass of water, a little bit of protein, and then let's start over. <sighs> protein and just do a little bit of research um oh my god the thing that made me queer i mean i grew up in the theater and i'm sure i was i mean i grew up in theater because i was gay i did not grow up in the theater and be made gay it was the thing i gravitated towards because it was the only thing with a little bit of um theatricality you know you made theater gayer i made theater gayer uh well i grew up in the middle of nowhere where um, I grew up in uh, a little, a tiny little town called Clinton, Ontario. Yes. Um, yes. You say yes as if you're aware of it. I am aware of it. It's very farmy, right? How and why? I've heard of it. And I, it also explains your outfit. I am, I am giving farmer trade. I'm giving like <laughs> farmer's son trade. Yeah. Um, I grew up, yes, in, in the farm belt of Southern Ontario, mm. Southwestern Ontario, uh, and I grew up next to, in the summer, there is a summer, uh, theater festival of, uh, called the Blythe Festival who, oh yeah, um, yeah. We and, love the Blythe Festival. Yeah. They're an interesting mix though of like, I think you, you hear summer theater and you think like, you know, like slamming door comedies and <laughs> sure. you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. like a little bit of Shakespeare here and there, but they are this weird, which at the time I didn't know was weird. I thought was just how theater functioned. They they create original 
like their seasons are mostly original. That's first, right. Don't they commission plays. pieces about sort of like uh, rural life? Yeah, yeah. They are um, a very rare theater uh, that was created to develop new plays, but new plays that reflect the community that they're being staged in. Mm. And, you know, growing up in the mix of that theater company from when I was a very little baby, I took it kind of for granted that creating theater meant creating something new. Um, mm, so it was okay. very, yeah, like creating a new script. And, and I was really lucky enough to be frequently in the room where things were being developed, like with the playwright present. Wow. Uh, which was really, I mean, this is a bit of a digression, but I, so for me, I was like, well, that's what theater is. And then you go to theater school and that's not what theater is. And you're like, oh. <laughs> you know, you're doing 700 year old plays that are just about like machismo and gender yeah. stereotypes. Yeah. But I mean, that's why I, I specialized in theater school in new play development and playwriting. Um, so I was like, that's not, you know, I'm not here to do Shakespeare. I'm not here to do No Coward, whatever. Yeah. Um, so hang on. So take me back to Blythe. And how old were you when you started doing theater there? I was 11. Wow. Child actor. I was, yeah, I was a child actor, which is funny. Like, I think everybody, like so many people, when I started writing and, and creating my own stuff, there were several people who were like, yeah, you know, if that's what you think you want to do, you should probably do that. Um, but uh, yeah, a little baby. It was, you know, it's like, it's one of those things with, with theater, that's the way in for kids. Um, Wait, what do you mean to be a, the way in to be a child actor? To, to be to be like to act, you know, that's that that's kind of the only really the way, only way in for kids. Oh, I see. You You're know, not going to be like an 11 year old technical director. We're not stage manager. <laughs> <Okay. you know? laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and so that was my way in. And then pretty much by the time even before theater school, I was like, oh, I don't really am I, am I a performer? I don't know. Yeah. Did a lot of performing in theater school of my own stuff that I was also co-creating and directing. And I was like. You know, if I can do one less thing. Right. Imagine that. But with the, the industry, you have to do all the things. And you strike me as someone like if you were into written theater, if it, it was like a Christopher Durang, like super weird. You're an absurdist. Is that right? Me? Yeah. Or um, you like the absurd. I like the absurd. I, I think uh, comedically, I'm an absurdist. I think comedically, I'm a satirist, like very, very cartoonish, very, um, you know, people saying one thing and meaning another thing entirely. Yes. Um, saying something awful, but saying it with a smile, not understanding that what you're saying is terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, very in the, the the strange, you know, I've always said I'm not a stand-up, but I think if I did get into stand-up, it would have to be character stand-up. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't have that much interest in performing Curtis, but yeah. um, creating some surreal, weird other, you know, very heightened cartoon people, for sure. I love that. And it's funny because sometimes when I bring folks on the show, I mean, it's called You Made Me Queer with an exclamation point, an accusatory podcast. Yeah. And when I say what made you queer, they're like, well, you know, nothing actually made me queer, right? Or they're like, <laughs> well, I don't really want to blame anything. And I'm like, <laughs> you know who I know would get the conceit and not yeah. ask me that? Curtis motherfucking my son Campbell. Yeah. Um, I think the like the the Blythe Festival and theater was the first place where I was, you know, I grew up in a hockey town and not once was I getting anything beyond like sort of a raised eyebrow of like, oh boy, this poor kid or like what, you know, what's his deal? Um, 
And uh, I think the theater, that theater in particular, was the first place where it was very obvious that I was a little gay boy and that wasn't really, um, that was nothing. It was whatever. It was, um, you know, and I was very encouraged to to write and to create and, and get involved. And I w- was so lucky to to encounter some really wonderful mentors who are still mentors to this day, um, who were just like not overly interested in the fact that I was a little gay boy and were just sort of like, there's so many other aspects to your silly little brain that are, you know. Yeah. Isn't that great and so rare? Because like one born one farm field or one town over and the dynamic changes, but you just happen to be in a very singular place with a theater. I know. and it, But it's it's funny though, because... I always say that, like, I was so lucky from July and August of the year <laughs> and sure. then everything else. Like, my high school didn't even have a theater program. Oh, no. Um, no, like, it existed when I was in ninth grade very cursorily. Yeah. And then after that, it completely disappeared. And then I became the theater department right. and just sort of took over the, the the drama room. It was just you doing, like, a one-person production of Annie. Well, that's when I started writing my own plays, actually, was okay. in um, in 11, 11th grade, I think. I was like, well, there's nothing, <sighs> there's no drama department, I'm just going to do this. And then uh, for two years, we ended up going, taking my plays to the this year's drama festival, which yes. was also my first experience of like, okay, uh, which, you know, for anyone who is not a like, I think it's just Ontario or is it a Canada? One? Ontario theater queen. Yeah. Ontario theater queen, uh, high school theater, um, competition, sort of like the, the big one that everybody, it's like the state finals if you're in the U S yeah, 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 yeah. And so that was really rewarding. That was my first experience of like creating something. And they have to be original pieces to get to Sears, right? No, they don't have to be original at be all by, by any means. I just came in and was like, I'm, you know, I'm doing all of it. And just uh, to confirm, yeah. this is not affiliated with the department store in any capacity. It was, yeah. No, it was. It, it was like presented by Sears. Yeah. And so that's why um, National Theater School ended up taking over. Oh, that's so weird. That's why like Sears Drama Festival doesn't really exist anymore. Right. Uh, so it's like having the Activia MTS. yogurt. Like it's yeah. just so ra- Sears. Yeah. But like, God bless. Like, yeah. I'm so glad that they did. It, it was like the, you know, other people had their like, province-wide um making it all the way to like national levels for whatever hockey <laughs> sports thing wow that was a reach for you i could I see know, you i tried sweat. to i tried to remember <laughs> what they were called but every time people would talk about them I would. so it was it was the equivalent of that you know and and, yes. that, and it was the first time like because we you know we would win awards and and move forward through the thing mm-hmm. it was the first time i could be like i'm good at this actually yeah totally and like in a in a way that I could actually demonstrate to people, um, so yeah, those like that was certainly not something that made me queer, but was like great. You're queer anyway. Moving on, right. what, yeah. I love that sort of double feed where it's like your queerness was accepted, but it also wasn't sensationalized, which you know you would find your own ways to do later. Oh, obviously. Well, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah that would cash in on later <laughs> cash as if there was payment. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, like I remember um coming home from college for the first time yeah. and like doing a season there and that being like the first season I had a boyfriend and yes. 
getting to bring him to meet everybody and these parental figures in my life being like, oh, did you hear Curtis has a boyfriend? Ooh. Curtis, the 11 year old grew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like everyone being really like excited about that and it being, oh, wow. um, yeah, it was really lovely. It was, um, yeah. And also do you, because you're blaming, I think you're blaming Blythe Festival first. Do mm. you remember the first show you did with them? Yeah, I do. It was, it was one of those shows where it was like 10 children. <laughs> like the, the show had to have 10 children. So okay. I got to like meet a bunch of other people. That's like the dog whistle. Like, are you queer or questioning and live near yeah. Blythe? <laughs> yeah. It was so cool though. It was like, it was, it was like this really amazing summer camp experience of like wow. finally being around a bunch of kids of like mind. 100%. Um, people that were forced into it by their parents and like either way, lots to talk about. Uh, totally. Um, That's funny. Cause I'm from Oakville and I was, I think I was eight years old when I started, there was a summer camp from the Parks and Rec called The Art of Acting, which mm. is just the most pretentious name for a drama camp, which really sure. spoke to me as an eight-year-old. Yeah. And that environment and dynamic and the woman, it was, Leslie was the guy. Oh, in, oh a, a man named Leslie I know. is leading an acting camp. It was, and Lindsay, That's what doing. so it was Lindsay and Leslie, very sort of inspired by your pod. And Lindsay yeah. wore, always wore toga sandals that laced up around her calves. Yes. And she spoke to us. She would always kind of like get the room focused on her and then speak in a like slightly lower volume than you inspect, expected way. So you had to be really quiet to like, yes. you just command the room. She was yes. absolute badass. And the type of person who like her attention on you was kind of a reward. Do you know oh, what I mean? Oh, 100%. When she Ugh. scanned the room and then the eye contact like bobbed over you, you were like, totally, your, bre yeah. your breath would catch. Yeah. It was yeah. great. Where I, is she now? Where is she? Oh, she's, you know, she's in a commune somewhere. <laughs> she she's, is. She's in yeah. Guelph. It's she's fine. wearing. Oh, she's in Guelph and she's wearing turquoise. <laughs> These yeah. are some local references. If you're not from Southern Ontario, uh, Google it. Yeah, I love Guelph. Guelph is great. I like I just, a intentional community. Yeah, I just spent a, uh, my my friend from Guelph is just visiting uh, currently. Actually, oh. uh, my best friend lives there. Uh, it is a lovely town. I love Guelph. Um, okay, so, so no, and if you've more to say about Guelph, by all means. But if not, where do you take <laughs> us after Blythe Festival? I actually, I kind of want to take you because, like, that took me into high school. Took me into theater school, like I started to become, I was like, oh, I'm more of a writer, um, you know, and that my like, like artsy queerness started to come out from that. Uh, but I think that the thing, like the, if we're asking the question, what made you queer? We're asking that question. Um, has anybody on this podcast talked about Animorphs by K.A. Applegate? Wow. No, no one has, but I'm acutely okay. aware of the yeah. the 90s aesthetic of those covers. Yeah, yeah. I So Animorphs was big for me. Um, it was the first time that I was like, oh, science fiction. Oh, yeah. Um, which would it. become a huge, and to this day is still a part of, I'm literally looking at a, an entire shelf of Dune paraphernalia and books right now yeah uh, i've got a i've got a, a a twin peaks shelf a uh a tolkien shelf and then right underneath that is a dune shelf um, i love this for you did you like the movie the Denis Villeneuve? uh yeah yeah i mean i liked it as the first half of a movie it really is the yeah. first half you know what i mean like, very much 
Um, and I also am very hoping that we get Dune 3, um, Dune Messiah, because the story isn't really complete. The, the Paul story isn't really complete until Dune Messiah. Okay. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Dune obsessive. Is Paul uh, the Timothy Chalamet? Yeah. yeah okay. Timothy. Got it. So Got it. I, I, I will say anyone who was like, what the fuck? It, it is, you, you saw half a movie. Yeah, that makes, I remember just ending and I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. you, you saw half a movie. The, yeah. Everything that got set up, the this like galactic jihad and like scary um, empire shit and everything with the Harkonnens, that's all coming to a head in part two. I love that. I saw that movie in a movie theater in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And there was Oof. a couple behind I'm sorry me. you had to be in Florida. <laughs> Listen, it was, well, it was... It's not what it was now. It was a little bit ago, but mm. there was a teenage couple making out behind me the whole movie. <sighs> and I like did the, I'm just like, ignore it, ignore it. And then I had to do the look back to be like, yeah. guys, guys, but as soon as they got the bait, they were like, we're just going to go as hard as we can and be as loud as we can. If you paid no attention, they would have stopped. You know, I know. what I mean? Like it's, I it's know. they want to be seen. Um, I can't, but like, that is not a sexy movie. Oh, totally. That is a weird a movie to go movie. to and like, make out. <laughs> yeah, as you know, like as like the sand is blowing in people's faces and and Paul's having visions. Everything's chapped the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yo, yeah, oh yeah. Um, if you enjoy the world of of it, the the books are so 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 rewarding. I can't recommend them highly enough. I should read them. Okay, they seem really dense and they are, but then once you get into it and you like embrace the density of it, like it it's so crazy and insane and you're like the the world building is so wild that it really brings you in and you, it, it's very rewarding i love that and i also love embrace the density as the tagline embrace, for the doom yeah, series do yeah no embrace the density and have so much fun and get a copy with the glossary at the back because oh, yeah. he doesn't explain terms like he is like context clues that's all you need oh, but there's so many made up words yeah <laughs> <laughs> you made me queer we'll be right back and now back to more You Made Me Queer. You made me queer. So science fiction, I was already aware, like I already enjoyed myself a a Star War. <laughs> yeah. But um Animorphs was the first thing I got into. I think I was in like I must have been in fourth grade or something. Yeah, and so that's like 10-ish, turning 10. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to preface this by saying I have revisited the series. I reread it, I think, two years ago um, because this is really fun. K.A. Applegate, who K.A. Applegate is Catherine and her husband. They wrote it together. Oh, wow. Um, mostly, yeah. So she is still a working author um, doing great stuff for young audiences. Um, and he's she, in jail. <laughs> and he <laughs> and he actually grew up to be Britney Spears. Um, uh, she apparently is very like um, Scholastic has stopped printing Animorphs. They, they tried to do a revival and it didn't really stick. Okay, um, but they exist as PDFs online. Wow. And she apparently to people is like, oh yeah, you can find them all online. Just go read them. Oh, I love like, that. She's, she's not precious about it. She's just like, I'm not making money off this anymore. If you enjoyed them you can find them on like Reddit and stuff. You should go read them. Oh, that's right. Um, so I did that and it was delightful. It was such a actually like rewarding experience to revisit this, like this like behemoth. Yeah. Of, How many of, books are there? I think there's 54 or 55. And then in the main series, and then there's a bunch of like um, side 
story. So they they were writing with a ghostwriter and then they they would do like the big broad strokes and then they would do sort of like this they they would come in like seasons. So it would be a school year would be a season. Yeah. And then they would do like a big mega book that would get released in the summer yeah. that would be between the seasons or it would be like a a prequel or like a side story. And those were always kind of a big deal. But you And they would write those? Because it always struck me as those. kind of like a Nancy Drew writing room kind of situation. It it was, but I think a lot less than a lot of those series are. I think it it was a bit more contained. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite so many cooks in the kitchen. Mm. Like I think they were kind of the first people to approach Scholastic and be like, hey, what if we treated this like a TV series? Cool. Great um, idea. Yeah. And I just remember the conceit of it being so engaging immediately that they were, it was like these diaries being written or like so these direct addresses being written by the characters amid this ongoing alien invasion that was like a Cold War. And they because I, I haven't read them and maybe some other folks haven't. So is it like these kids just turn into animals? So here's the conceit. Um Book one, it's these like five kids going, walking back in their like suburban America, wherever. They can't tell you where they are because um, they're in hiding, Um, which immediately for a 10 year, a 10, 10, 11 year old, immediately engaging. So, so great. Who doesn't love to be in hiding? Secrets. Secrets. Oh, secrets. Okay. You know, there was intrigue immediately. Um, They are coming back from the mall. They are all sort of, they all know each other. They go to school together, but some of them aren't really that close or they don't really know each other that well. Mm -hmm. Um, Alien ship crashes. A sort of blue centaur creature with a scorpion tail comes out and is like, your planet is being invaded by a like crazy viral it's they're like these they're like slugs oh okay an invasion of slugs okay oh i get it an invasion they need a host body they're a um and you know his alien species has developed this ability to uh copy dna and and transform your body into it oh Uh, so he gives it to the five of them and is like figure it out kids and then he (laughs) dies Um, (gasps) no and that's the beginning of the story yeah it it is like a surprisingly dark series of books for children which was immediately like i think the thing that sort of queer kids pick up on very quickly is like oh you're not talking down to me I see. Because I was like, where are we going here? Is it like getting impregnated with a virus? Well, I didn't know what I don't know. It's a very like and obviously a lot of trans people have come forward. And you know what? I also, I love about this is Catherine Applegate and her husband. Yeah. Um, in their public in person. In, yeah. In <laughs> their trans folks have come forward and been like, I loved this series as a child. Like that it really makes sense. To, like living, you know, living because the whole thing about the book is it's them living a lie yeah they know okay. that there's this invasion happening they're no they know that there's all these terrible things happening they're actively trying to stop it but they can't talk about it because they don't know who is who has been invaded by one of these thugs they don't oh, know oh i get it so you could be like who's a host and oh yeah i got it i got it like they walk among us yes yeah they walk among us um so it's like these kids living a lie and so trans folks have been like this really spoke to my experience at the time it was really it was really important to me and Catherine Applegate and her husband didn't pull a J.K. Rowling and be like, yeah, I know, that's what we were writing about. 
Like, yeah, he was gay the whole time. Right. They were like, you know, that wasn't our intention at the time because it was the 90s, but we're so glad that 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 spoke to you. We're so glad that you could, that that meant something to you. And also they have a trans child. Oh, amazing. And are like the anti-JK rallying. They're like, we write for children and we love trans people. Uh, we love trans rights. That's right. Can you imagine? And that's so funny. Like Colin, that should have been our first sign when she like reverse shoehorned Dumbledore into being gay. I remember it happening and being like, You're like what? It doesn't sit right with me. And I don't have the vocabulary to tell you why, but I don't quite like, I was like, if you, if you're going to do the work, you would have done the work. A hundred percent. And like, yeah, I feel like you're being pinned. I'm I'm being pandered to and it's confusing, yep. but I'm also, mm-hmm. I guess I'm here for it. And then yep. she made it very clear. We're not here for it. And that's, and that was what spoke to me as like a, a little queer youth was living a lie, mm-hmm. um, not being able to like be honest about yourself, always mm-hmm. feeling like this, like adult responsibility. <laughs> totally. Uh, this very like this very like, you know, old before your time thing, which yes really spoke to me and probably was something I didn't have the words for at the time, but looking back on it now, it's, and when I reread it, I was like, oh, that's what I liked about this, as well as the, like, the fun, crazy sci-fi. But then on top of it, there was, they did not sugarcoat this series in as much as they could get away with, Mm -hmm. it being Scholastic at the time. Mm. It is a rough go. Like, people die, people have, it's very violent, it's very, um, it's not trying to retcon anything at any point. Like, things had consequences and they would come up Something that happened like eight books ago would come up again and, and it would be kind oh, of wow. like. And that was before, because they were short, that was before. I think now it's a little more commonplace to sort of challenge youth in YA novels or or just have like yeah. a long lineage of story and canon. But at the time, you're right. There was just, there were like goosebumps was the alternative. Yeah. Which I also loved, which I we which which the 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 gay the gay children loved. Oh my god! Spooky, scary, silly. Yeah. Um, they were really fun to read and really engaging, but also not sugarcoating anything. People died. People um think you know story choices that characters had made really had consequences. Um, and I think a lot of people hated how it ended. I loved how it ended because the whole series was just like war and conflict and political strife will always beget more war and political strife and people don't you know you you can leave these things but they don't nobody gets out safe essentially Mm -hmm. and that's how they chose to end the series and i just remember being so young but being like you respected me as like a literate person mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. who could, who could engage with this. Um, yeah. And I just remember being like, this was written for my age and did not talk down to me. What a notion. I think that makes perfect sense. Cause I know sometimes people joke about queer folks are like queer kids are pretentious or like whatever, or like adult savvy and snowflakes or whatever silly yeah. ways or yeah. But it's like, no, I think they're sometimes like adult acting because like you said, the stakes become really high, really fast, often because of the way they're socialized. And by that, I mean, they don't fit within the socialization. And so that makes perfect sense. But here's what I think it is. I think queer kids are like your generation, my generation, maybe it's not, it's probably not this anymore. I'm, you know, maybe kids can just come out and, you know, you know, guitar solo, chill, rock. (laughs) I see what that hand thing was. Yeah. But at the time when there was no really coming out narrative yet, I think we had to, 
becoming intensely aware of reading social situations. Yes. We had to, we had to be very good at reading the men. We always had to be very good at reading men, you know, reading women for sure. But like, am I safe? Can I, what do I have to say? What do I have to not say to go through this moment, this social interaction safely? We get very good at reading adult situations. Yes, you have to you have to sort of decode social constructs at a very young age and also learn to sort of mimic them in a way where you can blend in with people and constantly code switch. Yeah. All the time as a child. Yeah, people say sensitive as if it's we can't handle things mm-hmm. and it's like no, we are sensitive in the literal sense of we are always sensing mm. and reading the situation so that we can survive it and get through. Mm-hmm. It's it's not about a thin skin. It's about a skin that can like sense what the fuck is going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. One right. What you had to do, especially, you know, depending on where you're living in, in a cornfield, yeah. even one with a theater, you had to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I said, I grew up in a hockey town. Um, and so I think those books were, it was like being invited into this secret little world that I understood very immediately. Do you know what? That's so funny because there were books I read as a kid. Like I've talked about this on the pod before, but the stories that made the most sense to me were usually written by uh, like cis female immigrants. Mm -hmm. Like as a child reading like the Joy Luck Club, I was like, I understand everything that's happening in this book. Yeah. And that was the thing. And people would like, you know, as like very literate children Mm. reading, you know, reading way above our, were you also a child who read way above his age bracket? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was, I was like, wow, like, you know, how are you understanding what's going, like, how are you picking up on all this? And it was like, um, no reason. Yeah. I'm just really good at reading. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not having to like emotionally understand things at an adult level constantly. Yeah. Or, you know, I think that thing too with like emotionally intelligent queer youth, especially in a, a rural space, being like, um, I'm not saying I'm smarter than the adults in my life, but like, in a lot of ways, I am, and I'm constantly <laughs> negotiating that. Right. It is a weird thing where you're like, yeah, I've just, I've, I've osmosed more through necessity. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, anamorphs. So, anywhere you want to take us as kind of a final stop post anamorph? I think that, um, I think about this a lot. A, a, a creative hero of mine is Britt Marling, who created. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The OA, Another Earth. The OA, Another Earth, uh, The East, uh, The Sound of My Voice, which is a very slept on sci-fi movie. Um, And so is Another Earth. Mm. Uh, So is The OA, you know. That's true. Two glasses of wine in at any party, and I will tell you about The OA and why (laughs) it's so special. Um, (laughs) But she wrote this really wonderful piece, I think for the New York Times, where she talked about science fiction and she talked to, she, she wrote so beautifully about getting asked why science fiction mm. for what she creates. Cause that is what she makes by and large mm-hmm. um, among other genres that she melds and, and, you know, reforms with her writing partner, uh, Zell Batmanlidge, uh, who are just so wonderful. Um, and she talks about, how she didn't really grow up with science fiction. Like she wasn't, uh, she wasn't into Star Trek. She wasn't like, it wasn't 
just wasn't on her radar. She started creating science fiction because it allowed her space and sort of cultural context to ask larger questions and it just not even questions so that she frames it is about imagining worlds and futures where she can explore all of these questions that she has to ask about the world um as a woman and just as you know just as a person it gave her license to not be so bound to you know, I'm a woman writing in this, in X genre. So I have to address the fact that I'm a woman. Yeah. Writing. And, and, you know, what does it mean to be a woman writing in this? Um, it, it just allowed her to imagine. Right. And beyond, beyond her own conception and beyond her, beyond the economy, beyond, you know, just the, the realities that we live in every day, beyond environmental collapse and, and yada 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 sure it, she can change any parameter she wants yeah she can yeah. and and just ask bigger questions mm -hmm. and it wasn't that she sought out to create science fiction it's that she had these things she wanted to create and that and these things she wanted to explore and science fiction became the box that she could do that in yeah uh, and i think about that all the time because that was the first th time that i had that conception of like oh there are so many things you can do with this form mm -hmm. um, that I have, you know, pondered and written and circled around for a long time. That interesting. Um, it was this very queer thing that I just remember thinking it was so illicit in a way, but not understanding why. And it's because it was a very queer experience. Yeah, and there's something nice about it too, which I think speaks to queer folks, where it's like, just like you said, you don't have to explain everything. Um, and so you're not defined, like you said, it, it calls me back to the way you started this conversation with the Blythe Festival, where like, you got to be something other than just who you are and the things, the coding that was attached to it and think beyond that. And I feel like that's, you know, yeah. folks, different folks have different opinions about the OA and things like that, whatever, but. Well, there are correct opinions and wrong opinions. <laughs> Fair enough. Listen, yeah. we all, the, that hand dance. Um, Trevor, we can't get into the OA. I will. I'm not it's going one to. one of the few things I get emotional about. Yeah. I, it's so special. It's so fucking great. I watched all of it. <sighs> That makes two of us. <laughs> the fucking octopus. Oh yeah. The fucking octopus. I yeah. that fucking show. Can you imagine getting no that script wood. as an art director and being like, oh, oh shoot. What fun though. What fun. Yeah. You have to find and the right one. They really seem to like people who work for them are devout. Yeah. The, the people that they bring on are devout towards them. They make insane, crazy shit. The OA season one and the OA season two are very different shows. I they agree. Are, they yeah. are very, and to, to a point, they were made to be done in a different genre every season. That was their... Oh. Yes. How many seasons did she want to do? Do you know? Because she got canceled after two. Five. They had, five. They, had, they had a master plan of five. Like the whole story, apparently. That's why it took so fucking long to make. Yeah. The whole thing is plotted out. Everything. Do you think she's going to find another network? Her and Zell have talked about doing it in a different medium. Because yeah. the story is created. They... They could just write like a comic book or write yeah. a book. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, VHS. 
but uh, VHS tapes, <laughs> they instill a fanaticism with the people that they work with because they really respect the people that they work with um, and really are open to everybody, by the sounds of it, everybody in the room being able to, you know, create with them. They really welcome people in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is something that that show is so special about. And also something that I think is also a very queer way of creating stuff that I have really tried to adapt into my own practice of like every, I'm going to run the room. I'm going to lead the room. Um, but like everyone, everyone should be from the stage management to, to, you know, the actors, everyone should feel comfortable weighing in mm. and, and maybe, you know, change, uh, changing a line, rewriting a line, like asking a question that's going to bring us in a different direction. And I think that's a very, um, straight manly thing to be like this is my room and i run it with an iron fist that's right and by all accounts they do not do that um and uh, yeah i just think they're so special who's straight straight men you're saying or brit britain okay i love this and i love if we look at the canon of what you presented me uh throughout this recording is a lot of times people say like the their reactions to things and you kind of the whole way through was about your world building like a lot of creation it makes perfectly perfect sense to me that you've ended up where you have ended up and by that i mean a basement surrounded by um lights and (laughs) books and things like that um it's all beautiful i have no edits for it i'm thrilled about it (laughs) and unfortunately we're almost out of time but before i let you go would you like to play a game yeah Fantastic. This game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. Queer, Queerist. Uh-huh. I'm going to give you... Uh, yeah, no, no no need to explain. I got it. You got it. Three things. Yeah. Just in case you've never heard the show before, I'm going to give Curtis three things. Curtis is going to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Great. Thing number one, fruit without door seeds. And by that, I mean seeds on the exterior, uh-huh. like a strawberry. Mm-hmm. Thing number two, market price menu items this drives me crazy the Mm. price is listed as market price it could be anything they're hesitant to tell you it's usually a piece of fish Mm. thing number three dunk tanks okay throw a ball at them someone falls off the chair into usually water so those three things are fruit with outdoor seeds market price menu items and dunk tanks least queer to most queer and why well, the least queer is the dunk tank, and I don't think it's queer at all. I think that is straight <laughs> culture. I think there's a humiliation aspect to it that the heterosexuals love. Um, I think that there's a there's a violence behind it. Uh, there's an assertion of there's an assertion of dominance to it. Of like, yeah, bitch, I dunked you into the fucking tank. Deal with it. That is straight culture. You read this tank. I, that is straight culture. So by by the parameters you set for me, I have to set that as 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 I guess queer, queer, yeah. queer, queerist. Yeah, nothing's um, not queer, but I get it. That's sure. The but also, you know, maybe we want to look at if to queer the dunk tank. We are, you know, dunking our fellow. Maybe you're like one boy dunking another boy into the water you want to see their shirt like all wet and like it is it is wet t-shirt contest for boys yeah yeah well anyone could be on that seat but when they come out of the water they have to toss their head back and their hair like whips like a little yeah 
Yeah, that happens no matter what. Even for me. Yeah. Even for yeah, even for you, there's a little bit the, the, yeah, the water, the little bristles. <laughs> yeah, um, I this is a tangent, but I think I think bald men are so beautiful and <gasps> stunning, and oh, I get stop re- it. no, I get really upset when I I I work with I have a, a collaborator who uh, gets very upset about his his baldity. No, um, and I'm like girl you are a gay man in the prime of your life and you're and you have a bald head you are the fucking thing. <laughs> you are the moment and if you yeah. need to embrace that 100 percent. it's like when you have a silver streak and you're like 25 yes yeah. which i have i have i have <gasps> silver on both sides yes. of my temples and i think it's incredible and i think it's i'm great. sexy as fuck with it i think bald men are incredible and beautiful and they, there's something it's a turnoff to for a bald man to be like self-conscious about it it's a weird thing for anything someone is self-conscious yeah it's a turnoff to be self-conscious it's about a turn-off. it because no one should be self-conscious about everything and we should all be enjoying who we are and basking in our pleasure I, yes in like a utopian sense yes but i just think bald men are so gorgeous <laughs> that it's like you don't you you truly don't need to do this everyone supports you we're all fucking here for it that's everyone you look great thank you it's the one thing we can all unite behind uh yeah. it's great and you know what i will say never known for my hairstyles before so i'm fine so it, it doesn't matter i don't know i just i just want the bald men of the world to know like you're hot you're so hot just and whip it, your head right out of that dunk tank we're ready for it and you're ready to go so <laughs> i need to follow that up by saying that market price menu your segues second. are like so streamlined thank you gorge I'm, thank you i'm a writer um <laughs> I I need to follow that up by saying that the market price menu item is going to be second. Okay. Because there's something very queer about saying, meet me where I'm fucking at. (laughs) Yeah. And don't make me explain it. And don't make me explain. You will. uh, It's not my job to educate you. Um, Absolutely. It's not my job to educate you. This is what is available. It's market price. It's supporting the community. Yeah. It's, you know... It is, I don't have the spoons to give you a full breakdown. Mm-hmm. You need to meet me where I'm at for the good of the community. That's what I it's mean, giving. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. all subtext in the menu market price. There's something very annoying about it and sort of cloying about it. And that's mm-hmm. queer too. Yeah. Because queer people are annoying and precious and cloying. And mm-hmm. it's time that we talk about that. <laughs> We're not all beautiful sunflowers, okay? No, a just lot the of us are ones. fucking awful. Yeah. Well, yeah. A lot of a lot of queer people um are terrible people. And that's and but but, but that is queer rights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah mm. yes. And it's not, it's not sec it's it's those things are not separate. Some people are really shitty because they are queer. And that is something we need to engage with. Be, can you explain in a very time-sensitive way? Some people love to really be like, I'm queer, and that's just something that, you know, like, it means I can be a dick at the party. Oh, and I know like, what you mean. Yeah, it yeah. means I can sort of, like, have no social graces and, you know, be really uppity about everything, and that's something you have to engage with, and you have to do, yeah. Yes, I know what you mean. There is, like, a, a dark side. Well, marginalization is bad in a lot of ways, but it can be, like, co-opted in a dark way where you're, like, 
this gives me a free pass to do anything I want. It's it's sort of like the the way that we've all co-opted therapy speech to just sort of <laughs> be selfish. Yeah, yeah, um, I do know what you mean. A lot of people have co-opted queer XYZ to be like, I don't have to like be nice to you. I'm queer. Yeah, yes. You know? It's like, uh, yeah. well, we could all be decent human beings to each other. And that is what I see in Market Price Menu as well. There's a dark side to it as well. I have nothing to add. Yes. It's all understood. It's all there. And now that you said it, self-evident, which takes us to... Which takes us to external seed fruit <laughs> because there's... I did I did not ever say the phrase external seed. External seed fruit. For the record. I said what I said and I stand by it and I said it confidently. <laughs> external seed fruit. There's a... Because you look at a strawberry. What is... There is no image more classic than a strawberry, Trevor. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. You, like a, a classic, you, you see the pi- a picture of a strawberry, you know exactly what you're looking at. But there's a little bit of a subversion. The The seeds are on the outside. It's you weird. still want to eat it. It's kind of weird, but it's also so beautiful and so tasty. Which makes it queer. Which makes it queer, but yeah. the weirdness is not separated. The weirdness is yeah. is is very tied into the deliciousness. Totally. There's something that feels illicit about it. Like this yeah. is an inverted fruit and yeah. it it's sweeter because of that. And it's also always been here and it's probably not going anywhere. Strawberries are the monomyth and they were the first fruit. Did you know that? Strawberries are monoculture. I said that we had no monoculture <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast. Stra- Stra- Strawberries <laughs> are monoculture. They are queer. The seeds are on the outside. We all love them. Yeah. And here's the thing. Your grandfather loves them. Your your annoying aunt loves them. Yeah. Your mom loves them. We all love Everyone them. loves a strawberry. Everyone loves them, but they're a little bit queer. Yeah. And once we acknowledge that like, just because something is queer doesn't mean it's so foreign. Right, right. And once we got to okay. know it, you know? <laughs> yes. Once you get to know it and really accept that part of it, it's just another fruit. It's just- I'm an, just another fruit. You're just another fruit. It's another fruit, but you're right. It is, it's, if you know, the red lines on the bulletin board, the red strings all go back to the strawberry. They all go back to the strawberry. And I think the strawberries are a wonderful uh, stand-in analogy for, for trans folks right now. Cause it's like, well, Grandpa, if you got to know my trans friend, the the fact that they're trans would probably be the least interesting thing about them. What's the strawberry correlation? Everybody loves them. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Everyone knows them. Everyone everyone understands them. And yeah. you know, and maybe that maybe the queerness is the thing that you the only thing you can focus on right now. But just take a bite. I, I but just take a bite. I bet if you got to know this person, you would be like, oh, it's just a strawberry. I know strawberry. <laughs> I love strawberry. <laughs> I think this will be the one great unifier. It's just a strawberry. That's going on the bumper sticker too. That's the thing. It's just a strawberry. I'm like, queer people are very boring. Trans people are very boring. They're people. They've they've been around forever. A strawberry has been around forever. You know the strawberry. It's great. So in conclusion, Brit Marlin is a god. Yep. Queer people are bad. Animorphs yes. are great. And also queer people are great. Yeah, I'm so confused, but I feel good mm. about it. But the fact that they can be awful and still, you know, celebrated members of our community, that's progress. And you know what? If we've been fighting for one thing, it's for you to say that. It's for me to say, you fucking suck. And I don't care <laughs> that you're, I don't care that you're queer. Yes. You suck. 
Yes, you, you suck. You listening. Mm, that is a quality. Let me check your marks, Curtis, because this is it's all fun and games, but this is an academic college yeah. credit course. Sure. So one, two, three. Congratulations. Your answers are all correct. A plus, yeah. you are in fact a queer person. Thank you so much. I was really nervous. We were all rooting for you. And we were all so, rooting for you. Congrats. And before I let you go, and God yeah. knows I don't want to, because this has been both electric and exhausting. I'm delightful and exhausting i'm obsessed is yeah. there anything you would like to plug when does this come out uh that's a difficult question to answer well if this comes out in uh july i have a sequel to my hit play gay for pay with blake and clay coming out in in, in july of 2023 called blake and clay's gay agenda do you mean a sequel to the juno or not juno what uh what's the, the dora, dora, dora nominated for outstanding new play yes yeah, we, you don't need a juno please uh, I would accept one, you know, I'd, <laughs> sure. I'd put it on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, uh, so, uh, gay for pay with Blake and clay was just nominated for a Dora award for outstanding new play. It's Canada's Tony's people. Yeah. It's kind of wild. It's, it's, it's been really cool, uh, to an earnest moment for me. It's, it's been really cool to, um, yeah. to get that nomination. Um, well-deserved. Thank you so much. We uh, are doing a, a sequel. You don't have to have seen the first one. It's just the same characters coming back. Last mm. year, we taught straight people how to play gay. <laughs> this year, we're teaching gay people how to be gay. <laughs> Thank we figured it out. God, yeah. I, I out. can't wait for the answers. Yeah. Uh, and I also I have a I have a novel coming out in in uh, October of this year mm -hmm. called Dragging Mason County. It is about a teen boy throwing his small town's first drag show whether they want it or not and now knowing so much more about you this all tracks so deeply <laughs> I, I know i know i'm really hoping nobody from back home reads it because oh my god um, i tried my best but it, there's it's it's full alice monroe i'm just stealing shit and running it's, with it <laughs> why else live through it if you can't write about it exactly, Am I right? exactly. please uh, well, everyone, read those things, see those things, um, all streaming on Disney Plus by December, so it's yeah, fine yeah, if you yeah. miss them. Yeah. Uh, and I want to thank you, Curtis, because not only are you an absolute living national treasure, but <laughs> I was very queer when this conversation started, and talking to you has made me truly queer than ever. Oh, good. Sometimes I make people straight because it's just too much, so <laughs> I'm glad it went the other way. They double, but they circle around. Sometimes they circle around, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was well, a dream. thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll see you um, out on the internet, on the streets of Toronto. We'll meet at the strawberry. We'll meet at the, the big strawberry, and I'll see you in my dreams. I truly can't wait. I'll bring my lack of hair. Please. Bald men are so beautiful. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Queer, queer, queer. Queer, 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 queer. Queer, 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 queer. Ooh, that was a fast one, was it not? That is our show. I would love to get your mail. You can mail me at youbeenbequeer.gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We've been doing okay this season, getting some nice features from Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music and the like, and I can only imagine that it's your rates, reviews, and subscriptions that are helping that happen, so please keep them coming. And, uh, you know, that's it. So... 
Cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our editor is Sean Van Beaton. Our theme song is by Critty. For more from music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at You Made Me Queer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every Thursday. And from the bottom of my big bent heart, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault.